Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Good afternoon, Canada. Today's date is... August 25th, 2020, and it's Tony here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How's the forest fire situation out there, my friend? Uh, getting better. Um, yeah. We, uh, yeah, it was the, the fire that had us evicted, or not evicted, but evacuated from our, our job site is uh, pretty much out now, and the residents are going home tonight. And, uh, so that's all good. And, um, yeah, but I mean, there's fires kind of still burning all over the province, but, uh, we've been hit with a lot cooler weather in the past, uh, several days. So, uh, starting Saturday, it got a lot cooler and, uh, uh, that's helped out quite a bit. Oh, well, that's great news. I'm happy for those families. I had uh, seen some pictures up on Facebook from Penticton, which I know is not far from you. And there was like, you, there was a shot of a couple of different mountains and it was just, they were all on fire. So all I could think was, oh my God, that did not look good. Well, no, and it, and it wasn't good for a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that the situation's improving now. So, uh, yeah. All right, Canada, I think Lewis said this last week that... Uh, when we come back Tuesday, we're still going to have a heck of a show for you. And, yep, politics has not taken a break. So, on the show tonight, there's a new sheriff in town, and his name is O'Toole. Katie Telford's husband, not the innocent bystander we thought he was. We just won't go away. And as much as I hate to say it, Lewis and I are proven right again. So, where do you want to start today, my friend? Well... Let's start with you and I were right. That's always a good place to start. So uh, if listeners will remember back to, I think we started saying this in March, uh, might even have been later in February, right when the COVID epidemic was hitting. So probably in March, we started saying that, watch out Canada, because at the other end of this, you're going to see some mass bankruptcies. You're going to see an addictions crisis. And you're going to see an awful lot of pain. And this humble podcast are predicted in June that Canada's deficit was going to hit well over $400 billion this year. And it turns out that both of us were right. The deficit now is set to climb over $400 billion, which is something I did not ever want to be right about. And it turns out that there is indeed an opioid crisis in this country. In fact, opioid usage has gone up, I want to say, 15%. And it's bad enough that Canada's chief medical health officer, and this is how it was reported, they didn't want to name the person. That's how much uh, credibility this person has lost. Canada's chief medical health officer suggests that Canada should decriminalize hard drugs in order to deal with the opioid crisis. Huh. Um, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. Uh, decriminalization and legalization are two different things. 
decriminalization just means you're not going to jail for using them or being in possession of them. Uh, typically, that doesn't that still doesn't apply to um, with the intent to uh, distribute, right? So if you're a dealer, you still go into prison. But if you are a user, you're not going to go to prison. And I think that's a good thing um, because those drugs are as readily available in prison as they are out in out in the general public. And what that person needs is help. They don't need prison. So I'm not opposed to it. Um, in fact, I'm probably in support of that. Uh, but um, uh, I'll let I'll let you give your insight on that. But I'm I uh, I'm getting my my opinion has been formed from years of talking to RCMP officers and to um, uh, drug counselors. Uh, so it's I, I I probably have a more informed opinion on this than most people would. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'll let you talk about it, but then I want, I do want to talk about, um, an issue in Vancouver and Victoria regarding the opioid, opioid crisis. So, okay. And yeah, I mean, you had predicted that this was going to get worse and it has, you've actually taught me something and I didn't realize that decriminalization still meant that the, the street dealers themselves would still, you know, be, be able to be charged and go to prison. So now my opinion actually has shifted somewhat because, uh, yeah, otherwise I would have not have been in favor of decriminalization. But when you present the case that way, if we can still go after the dealer, then I have less of a problem with it. Yeah. I, and it's, and it's all because um, the user is addicted and, and they don't need prison. They need help. True. Yeah. Um, but what I do want to touch on with the opioid crisis is we said back in March when all this started that overdose deaths were going to go through the roof and that it was quite possible that more people were going to die from suicides and overdose deaths, uh, like the increase in those numbers month month over month, uh, year over year, um, that there might be more people dying from those types of deaths than from COVID itself. And I hate to say it, but I was right. And you were right. And because I saw the overdose deaths for the month of July, year over year from last year, and the increase in those deaths from this July to last July is more for one month, just the month of July, is more than all of Canada or all of, yeah, all of Canada's COVID deaths combined for the entire seven months. Wow. So, and that, now that's just for um, overdose deaths. That does not include suicide increases, which have increased dramatically. It's not, you know, from the increase in homicides, which has increased. Um, so I, 
I'm saying right now, it is fact now that more people are dying from the so-called cure than they are from the disease. Yeah, isn't that pathetic? And you're right, I mean, uh, we had talked about this back in March, and and you said it exactly right, that, that this was what was going to happen. And yet one more time when we can use your tagline that you did not want to be right. And honestly, all of Canada did not want you to be right about this. And it's an absolute tragedy that didn't have to happen. I mean, and we can have that discussion at a later date, but it's uh, it, it breaks my heart, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's... And it's something that nobody even seems to give a crap about. True. And it seems like the only deaths that matter are from COVID. It's like nobody cares that, that like, I think it's triple um, the amount of people are dying from being locked in their homes and not being, you know, going financially uh, bankrupt and all that kind of stuff. Like the numbers, the, the suicides, the, the drug overdose deaths, it's just through the roof and nobody seems to care because as long as they're not dying from COVID, it's okay. And which is crazy. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like what is, what, what's wrong with people that they don't, that they don't care about all these other people dying. No, that's right. And this is the, the cynical side of me. But I mean, if it's not a COVID death, then it's not news because, of course, COVID is the buzzword of the day. And yeah. that's callous and it's disgusting. But unfortunately, that's that's the way it is. I mean, no one gives a crap about, oh, another junkie died. Well, that junkie wasn't a junkie six months ago. But unfortunately, when you locked him in his house and he hasn't seen his family or she, um, you know, you as in our society created that mess. So, you know, you want to just write them off as being just another junkie who died. Well, no, there's a way bigger picture. Yeah. And there's other deaths, too, that people aren't aren't even paying attention to, such as the increase in heart attack deaths is 70% 70% Oh, I believe that. And it's because people aren't, you know, going to the hospital when they need to because they're afraid. They uh, they're having elective surgeries are all being um postponed or canceled and and a lot of these elective surgeries like then the word elective isn't even appropriate because these down the road could be life-saving surgeries for these people. And, but, but the, but yeah, heart attacks are up 70%. Yeah. And what uh, also hurts, and this is a U.S. number, but I mean, the the numbers tend to be similar here Um, in the U S early diagnosis for cancers are, how do I word this? There's a 46% increase in late diagnoses for cancer let's put it that way so people are they're not getting to the hospitals because they're told not to go and yeah suddenly they find out too late that oh geez this farther along them than uh we were hoping well yeah and this is just and this is just two diseases that we're bringing up 
there yeah. are so many more diseases that if caught early enough you can be saved from and and they're and the and and so many of them are not being detected until it's too late all because of of the covid restrictions yeah it's really really sad I mean, when you make the point about electives i think that uh it was good that you you know went into detail because when people think elective they automatically think oh it's cosmetic surgery oh you don't need that nose job well it's not just someone who's waiting for a nose job elective just means you know a surgery that can be done on an outpatient basis or it's uh considered it's a minor procedure yeah. right or yeah it's not an immediate emergency yeah exactly yeah so yeah and and that can include uh having your tonsils removed because of sleep apnea and sleep apnea can kill you people don't know that but sleep apnea can kill you I didn't know and, that. And if you don't get your tonsils removed, your ton your sleep apnea doesn't go away. Like there's there's so many different things that are considered elective that are that could be life saving down the road. Yeah. Wow. So, and so, now, so, with regards to the opioid crisis, uh, there and I talked to you before we started recording about this. Vancouver since December has been has had a trial going uh like a um not a not a court trial but a a a, a trial program on east hastings and which is probably the worst street in the entire country for uh homelessness and uh drug users and this program is an ATM for drugs. So the drug users go to these ATMs, they scan their palm, and the machine knows how, what opioids and how many, how much opioids to give them according to their doctor's prescription. And Victoria has decided that it's a resounding success and they're going to implement it in Victoria now. Oh my God. Now, Vancouver mayor, um, I can't remember the gentleman's name now, but I remember he had a couple of months ago at a suggested the federal government should be paying to make opioids a part of this, uh, this program. Did that happen? Um, that's a very good question. I'm not sure. And I know okay. I said, I know I said opioids in my, uh, description of it. I take that back. I don't know if it's opioids. I just know it's drugs. Yeah. Cause I remember that yeah, there was, and, uh, there was a whole raft of drugs that were included in that. I remember that he wanted to have opioids added into the mix. And of course at yours and my expense and, I think that's the biggest problem I have with this is why the hell do you and I Canadian taxpayers have to pay for these programs? Like I get it that a lot of these junkies are homeless and they steal in order to get money for their fix. And so they, you, you can go on and talk about the endless cycle if you want to, but I have a really hard time making them my responsibility and, and your responsibility. Yeah. I just, 
I, I don't know. I'm tired of the government doing things they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Period. So. Yep. So, oh, actually, that's a good springboard to move into our next topic, government doing things they shouldn't be doing. You sent me uh, a screenshot a few days ago that, well, it ticked me off, frankly, um, that Katie Telford's husband got in the news again. Now, for listeners who listened to last week's show, uh, Katie Telford's husband was working for MCAP, which was a mortgage securities company, which just happened to get handed a nice, juicy, sole source government contract. And, of course, Katie Telford's husband had played the innocent bystander, completely oblivious that such a thing happened, until you sent me that screenshot. Yeah. And apparently, Katie Telford's husband was lobbying the government for for his company. Oh, well then. Yeah. And was not registered as a lobbyist. Oh. How about that? Yeah. And it's just just so uh, interesting. He knew exactly who in the finance department to call. Wonder where he got that phone number from. Exactly. I mean, this is everything. I mean, you and I knew as soon as we heard about this is didn't it didn't pass the smell test. Something exactly. It stunk. It stunk real bad. And we even we even predicted that this was going to happen. And again, we were right. Yep. And and again, not wanting to be right, but it's just, I, I don't no, think the no, Canadians... I, I, I kind of wanted to be right on this one. <laughs> well, that's good, because you certainly got your way. And <laughs> I mean... We keep on saying, like, you know, what more does this government have to do? What more does Justin Trudeau have to do? And when you see the same pattern going on and on again, and I'm sure that if uh, Mr. Polyev and the Ethics Committee were allowed to get together and go through all these redacted documents and get them unredacted, you would see just, you know, more examples from more departments. I mean, even just the, the number of boondoggles you and I have brought up on this show should be enough to bring any government down. But yet we continue to scratch our heads and say, what the hell Canada? Yeah. Especially when you look at the poll results uh, that were released this morning and the liberals hold an eight point lead over the conservatives. I'm speechless. I didn't actually uh, know about that until just now. I didn't even realize there was a poll, but I, yeah. I got, I got nothing, man. <laughs> I, it, I, I, it just blows my mind. I, I, I'm, I'm losing faith in, or I, I don't know, I've lost faith in in my fellow Canadians. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. I don't get it, and. Uh, Actually, we'll, we'll springboard off that. I mean, since there was a poll out, that probably is a result of there being a new leader with the, with the Conservative Party of Canada. Now, listeners, if you heard Lewis's rant on Monday, uh, then you would know that not only do we have a new leader for the Conservative Party of Canada, so he will be the new leader of Her Majesty's loyal opposition, uh, Mr. Aaron O'Toole. And I loved the descriptor line you used for your rant, Lewis, so I'll let you repeat that. Oh, don't worry. Nobody else knows who he is either. 
<laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's true. I mean, nobody does know who he is. Even even a lot of conservatives, conservative voters, not necessarily members of the party because they all know who he is now. But yeah, there's a lot of conservative voters across the country who don't know who he is either. And uh, I even had one of my employees say to me this morning, who is he? And right. so that's that's the that's the obstacle that conservatives have ahead of them right now, especially if there's going to be an election this fall. Yeah, and actually, I do want to touch on that after we go through Mr. O'Toole for a bit here. And I did have to roll my eyes today when I was reading a statement from him saying that uh, I think how he worded it was trying to talk about the big conservative tent and that he was elected as a pro-choice candidate. And I said, wait a second, the first thing you did as soon as you declared your intention to run was talk about being a true blue conservative and trying to court all the the pro-life social conservative types. So uh, just a little disingenuous, sir. Well, like I said last week, and I've said in prior uh, episodes, there's no place for social conservatism at the top right now. I Canada's past that. It's way in our past. It's abortion's been legal in Canada for 30 years. Um, Gay marriage has been around for what? 17 years now, 16 years legally. Um, It's social conservative is, is if you're a leader of a federal party and you hold social conservative values, you will not be elected in Canada. And that, that and Andrew Shear proved that. Oh, he did. And I remember um, back, I guess, gosh, it's been over 20 years already, um, starting a provincial political party. And of course, that issue came up in Alberta. And I remember very clearly one of our founding members saying, well, if you want us to be unelectable, by all means, let's pursue these, these social conservative policies and it sort of put an end to it right there because even 20 years ago the 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 cooler heads understood that exactly what you said there is i think there's a place for social conservatives in a party but there is certainly no no place for them at the top you're right i mean they they're welcome to their views and of course they can influence policy but there's certainly especially the harder core issues like you say with the uh the lgbt issues with with the the pro-life issues there's just there's just no room in the Canadian conversation anymore because our laws have moved beyond that a generation ago. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, I don't I don't think governments should even be involved in that kind of stuff. I mean, so like cons- social issues should be between you and your own conscience. Um, I I don't see a place especially for marriage and and stuff like that it's like the government shouldn't even be involved in that and the only thing they should be involved in is like if if there's a divorce you have to uh and you're going to family court that's it otherwise government shouldn't even be involved in that no the, the government actually doesn't really need to be involved in marriage at all and i think if you took the government out of the marriage business there wouldn't be this kind of tension because then it would just be you go to your local 
whatever your li- local lions club or whatever civil civic organization to take care of this or your yeah. independent marriage commissioner or whatever. And then it wouldn't matter. There wouldn't be any kind of stigma. Exactly. Like I just, I just don't understand why. And, and, th- and this happens on the, on the, on the right and it happens on the left. And it's people who believe that they have a right to tell you how to live your own life. And, and that's wrong. And it really, uh, it's not even a, a, a conservative tenet to be telling other people how to live their lives. It's one of the things that conservatives are supposed to believe is that, is that you, you live and let live. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I like to be left alone and that's how most conservatives are. I mean, that's uh, like you say, that is a tenet of conservatism is just, you know, I'll do my thing, you do your thing. And there we are. Yeah. And, and now the, 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 the liberals have already thrown a curveball at Aaron O'Toole. Uh, one of the uh, liberal backbench MPs has released a, a, statement and a, pre- a press release calling on Aaron O'Toole to um, remove Derek Sloan as uh, a member of the Conservative Caucus. And um, first of all, the Conservative Party of Canada's own um, their own uh, constitution doesn't allow the leader to unilaterally remove someone. It has to be voted on by the entire caucus. Uh, Now, Derek Sloan has said some things that ruffled feathers, and I don't agree with with some of the things that he said, but people have different opinions. Different people have different opinions. You can't have... You can't have 180 MPs that all agree with the leader. If you do, then you've got nothing but sheep in your party. And you've got no room for differing, differing ideas or, or uh, healthy debate and ways to improve legislation that you're proposing because everybody just agrees. I mean, I, I'm, I'm tired of this, of, of the left thinking that everybody has to agree with them or else you're a racist or a bigot or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm oh. so done with this. Yeah, that group think mentality really drives me nuts. And it's, uh, it's funny you'd bring that up because I was actually at a watch party for the, the leadership votes and I did not stay for the end. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but when I was, we were talking to, uh, I think it was my MPs, one of his constituency office uh, staff anyway. And I said, the great thing about being conservative, uh, they said that like, I'm much more of a fiscal conservative who believes in, in freedom and liberty and obviously in, in fiscal issues. So, but I can break bread any day with, with social conservatives or whoever, whether I agree with them or not, because being as conservatives, we're allowed to do that. We don't have to walk in lockstep with, with, you know, one idea because that's what the leader said. And, that's exactly what you brought up. I mean, if you're in the Liberal Party of Canada, you will you will say exactly what Justin Trudeau tells you to say. And I think it was our last episode or maybe the week before that you had brought up that you know, Mr. Trudeau would not sign the candidate's nomination papers unless they agreed with his uh, 
well, their his his social his view on social issues anyway. Well, yeah, and I mean, he also wouldn't. I mean, they they passed they passed uh, uh, what was it the summer jobs program, where the uh, business or uh, charity that was trying to get uh, uh, summer students, right? Yep. Yeah. They're trying to get students for the summer to work for them under the jobs program through the federal government. And you had to sign a declaration stating that you agreed with, uh, with the liberal party's view on, on social issues. And if you didn't, you didn't get your, your uh, summer students. Yeah, I remember that. There was actually just east of Saskatoon here, there was an organization that was unable to run their summer festival for that very reason. So, Yeah, and I mean, yeah. and even, and I, and I said this back then, I said, like, you know, even if I agreed with him, or even if I agreed with those uh, social uh, viewpoints, I'm not signing it. It just out of just out of of uh, uh, just out of principle that the government doesn't have a right to tell me how to think. No, exactly right. And speaking of our government, now this has been, I think it kind of started as a whisper, but it's starting to get a little more attention now. Is the thoughts of a fall election that uh, I had a few minutes to speak with my MP at this watch party and he tried to avoid the subject, but I mean, it's, he at least admitted as much to me that the party is ready if, uh, if an election is indeed called. And I think the only wild card now is will Jagmeet Singh be, be willing to, to, to pull that trigger and start an election. And then just yesterday, or maybe it was today, I think it was yesterday. I had heard that, the NDP had announced that, oh, no, we've done some fundraising. We do have some money. We can fight an election. So do you think that's a sign that maybe maybe we're ready? Well, I think that if the NDP wants to remain relevant, they have to bring the government down. Because if, if they're going to continue supporting this, the most corrupt government in Canadian history, uh, I think they're going to lose start losing a lot of supporters. I mean, the problem is, is that the liberals have now moved further left than the NDP. And they're, they're kind of taking the NDP's wind from their sails. And the NDP need to differentiate themselves and they need to show that they've got teeth. And if they don't, if they keep propping them up, I think they're going to sh- just, they're going to, they're going to uh, eradicate their own legitimacy. Yep, actually, I think that's uh, very well said. I think you've said it exactly right. They, uh, I mean, and I can't say that Jagmeet Singh is, has a, a history of making wise decisions, but I agree with you. He would be most unwise if he didn't join up with the bloc and likely the conservatives in calling for this government to fall at the throne speech. And the thing is, is that it's, it's not like... Um... It, it's it's not like this, like like Jagmeet Singh. I mean, you're right. Jagmeet Singh has made some terrible decisions since he became leader, like sitting out for over a year before seeking a seat, um, yeah. like trading a promise from the from Trudeau 
for uh, keeping the house from sitting for three months. Um, you know, he's he's got a, a terrible track record for decision making. So I'm not holding my breath that he's actually going to uh, help the conservatives and the and the ND or the uh, the block take down the government. But if he was but if he was smart, he would because he's he's quickly uh, he's quickly making his own party irrelevant. Oh, he totally is. Yeah. And I'd heard, I think it might've been on the weekend. It may or may not have been on the Roy Green show. Again, I sourced so many different articles and shows that uh, they kind of get mixed up with one another. But at any rate, what I was reading was that, you know what, the new conservative leader, they didn't know who it would be at that time. Uh, said, you know, has a golden opportunity because they have a full month before Parliament resumes to get out there and get themselves known. And I guess to Aaron O'Toole's credit, he seems like he's very eager and we know he's a hardworking guy. So I hope that the hell that he takes advantage of this next month and gets himself out there, does a cross-country tour, gets a crap ton of media and is ready for an election in case we... uh, we find one. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I, you and I both know that, that Justin Trudeau listens to our show. Um, we, yep. Yeah. But if Aaron O'Toole listens to our show, I want to really impress upon him the importance of not running a negative campaign the way they did last time. I mean, everybody knows how crooked Trudeau is. You don't need to keep hammering that home. You, you need to tell Canadians what it is that you want to do and give them a reason to vote for you, not a reason to vote, to not vote for Trudeau. That's very well said. Yeah. Now, I mean, we see, we see in uh well, especially in our neighbors to the South and again, America, I love you. And we do have us listeners. Uh, the tendency they have, I mean, that's the whole thing right now is, Nobody's saying vote for Joe Biden. They're saying vote against Donald Trump. And oh. Republicans are saying vote, don't vote for Joe. And so then it's like, okay, so your choice is don't vote for Donald Trump or don't vote for Joe Biden. It's not vote for either one of them. Exactly. I mean, if you watched any of the DNC, which I did not because I would have thrown up, um, <laughs> I listened to Ben Shapiro. Uh, do his rundown on everything each after each night. And it was, I, I'm glad I didn't watch it because it, it was disgusting. I mean, it was just celebrity after celebrity after celebrity saying how awful Trump is and how nice Joe Biden is. That, But that's the only reason they gave to vote for Joe Biden was that he was nice. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, Lots of people are nice. I mean, Trump's not nice, but lots of people are nice. That's not a reason to vote for them for president. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Ben Shapiro because I actually didn't uh, listen to his show until you had talked about it. And uh, I'm liking him more and more. I got to say, he's uh, he's very on point. He's uh, probably one of the smartest hosts I've listened to. Yeah, and he and what I like about him is that he will call out whoever deserves being called out, whether they're Republican or, or Democrat. Um, I mean, he, he's not a fan of Trump um, and he makes no bones about it, but he does give Trump credit when credit is due, but he also 
takes him to task when it's when he deserves it. And uh, and he but he does the same thing for the Democrats. And uh, and yeah, I really I really like his show. And I mean, I, anybody who's interested in American politics at all, I would highly recommend Ben Shapiro's show. Yep, I, I agree with that. So, all right, now back to Canada and the gift that keeps on giving that we can't stop talking about, or I should say that we can't stop talking about. We 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 we. Yes, and. So it turns out that we, when they were, how do we say, applying to uh, administer the the student volunteer program, had sent a proposal over to cabinet. And this proposal just happened to feature pictures of Margaret Trudeau and Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. Not that they were trying to influence anything. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Did you so also... just a did you also hear that uh, uh, that um, the oh who was it oh I hate when I do this I have a point to make and then I totally forget right when I'm about to tell you what it is but uh, they were actually told by uh, like Trudeau and company were told by government officials I believe. Uh, that we was not capable of carrying out this program. Yep, they they were told that, and I, gosh, Ooh. I want to say that Bardas Chagger was actually the one who had that news delivered to her. But yeah, who was it? Who was it that told them? It was. It wasn't even a senior bureaucrat. I can't, I can't, I'm trying to think of which de- government department it was. It was, uh, yeah, but they, but they did an examination of of we, and said they do not have the infrastructure in place to be able to pull this off. Yeah, and God, was it? Was it? Oh, I think it was the Privy Council office, wasn't it? It may have been. Yeah, but they, but yeah, they were told that we, under no circumstances, could we pull this off, and they did, gave it to them anyway. Yeah, and I know we brought this up on past shows, but we had absolutely zero presence in Quebec because they were unable to deliver any of their programming previously in French. So their entire presence in Quebec was limited to a few rallies in Montreal. And yet they were tasked with administering a program to, well, roughly one quarter of Canada's population that lives in Quebec – and they couldn't even speak the language. Yeah. Like, no, this is there. There. Oh, it's like I said to my my sister in law this week. I said, "There's been more scandals than I can count on two hands." Trudeau has worn blackface more times than he can even remember. Uh, there's just been scandal after scandal, and and all this stuff. And yet they still lead by eight points in the polls. And I don't understand. The Canadians have way too much patience and tolerance for liberal corruption. And it's got to stop. Well, it does. That, that, and that actually disheartens me when you uh, give me that kind of polling numbers. Because it's, like you say, I mean, we have a weekly show and we still can't keep track of all the scandals that this government 
gets itself embroiled into. And by the time we get to the next Tuesday for the next show, there's been a couple that have already, you know, sort of gone in one ear and out the other, as it were, because we just can't keep up. And I mean, it's, I understand that a lot of these, I want to call them sub scandals and whatnot, are being being leaked out of Ottawa to try to take the heat off of Justin Trudeau. But ultimately the buck stops with him. So any scandal that comes out of this party is attached right to him. And yet, like you say, Oh, well, eh, that's all right. They're liberals. Eight point lead. Yeah. Like I, uh, what a bummer to end this show on. What a bummer. Um, (laughs) let me see if I can find one positive here. Leslie Lewis, uh, uh, did, uh, commit to running as a, Conservative Party of Canada candidate when the next election rolls around. So there's a Excellent. there's a, po- a positive. Excellent. I, I think she will be a great addition to the team. I think so too. Now I wonder uh, what Peter McKay's future is going to be. I wonder if he's going to seek a seat because he's been living in Toronto lately. So I wonder if he will uh, maybe look at Toronto Centre or York Centre, where you know two seats that will have no incumbent. Well, if he doesn't run, then we know that this was. This was a vanity project. Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, and of course, listeners out there, yes, Lewis and I both had in, endorsed Peter McKay, and I still believe that he was he is the, the leader that the party needs. But, yeah, I mean, if he chooses not to run and chooses just to hide back in a private life, uh, I have to say I was wrong about him. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, I would have liked to have seen him win just because he had name recognition and Canadians in general like him. Canadians in general like him more than conservatives like him. Um, So he would have been probably far more electable. Uh, And that's, and that's why that's the only reason I actually wanted him to be leader because I really do like Aaron O'Toole. Um, He's just inconspicuous. (laughs) Nobody knows who he is. And, uh, but like I said before, and like you have said before, our number one choice wasn't even in the race and that was Pierre Polyev. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, Pierre Polyev, of course, he isn't going anywhere and good because we're going to need him more than ever. I think he's going to be the next leader, to be honest. I, I certainly hope so. And I mean, he's still really relatively young. I mean, he's, he just turned 41, so he still has a good long career ahead of him if he chooses to stay around. So I think that, you know, he very possibly could be the next leader and boy, would he be a good one? Yeah, I agree. All right, my friend. All right. Well, let's call that a night and we're right on time here. So thank you all for joining us, Canada, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you find us. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, it's Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in beautiful BC. Good night, Canada. Good night.